Well, we are in our second week in a journey through John that will take us quite some time, but the overall goal in spending time in the Gospel of John is to meet the real Jesus. There are so many ideas and thoughts and opinions about Jesus Christ, who he is, what he, what he did, how he lived. I think it's just time for us to, okay, let's hit the pause button and really focus our attention on who Jesus is and what the Bible says about Jesus. Introductions are a funny thing. I've been to a number of conferences and seminars where people are introduced, and sometimes the person who's introducing the main speaker is introduced, and it goes on from there. I've been introduced a few times myself in various gatherings as well as on the one-on-one, the close relationship type of things, and it seems like for me the introductions are never fancy, sometimes funny. I've, I've noticed over the years that people seem to have a hard time with my last name. It's really quite simple. It's the name Alan, the word sin put together, and you have Alsin, A-L-S-I-N, Alsin, Alsin. But I've been introduced as All Sin, <laughs> Allison, Olson, Nelson, Alfin with an F as in Frank, and even Aslan. Um, I'm not a lion, I'm a regular guy, but, but those are the introductions I have received. When I graduated from seminary, way back in the day, um, my wife was in the gathering, and sitting behind her was someone who was reading through the bulletin, the program, out loud. And because my, name start, my last name starts with the letter A, my name was the first name on the list of... Uh, master degree candidates or whatever they called us. So this guy was reading and and he came across my name and read it as all sin. Boy, how would you like to be a pastor and have the last name of all sin and made some remarks about that. And sure enough, as I walked and and got my diploma or maybe it was a fake diploma, I don't recall, I was introduced to the gathering as this is Carl all sin. Yeah, really great start into ministry. Well, I, I begin with that to say this. There was one man in the history of humanity who was chosen by God to introduce Jesus Christ. No pressure, John the Baptist, but you better get it right. You got one shot at this. And he did. He nailed it. The man was not a high priest or a Jewish religious leader. He wasn't wealthy. He was no one of notoriety. We remember him, in fact, as a little bit odd, but he was God's selection for the task. The first time we encounter John the Baptist in the Gospel of John is in the early verses of the Gospel of John chapter 1 that we read over last week. I did not draw attention to to that, so I want to read it again. Chapter 1, verses 6 through 9, it says, There came a man who was sent from God. His name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning the light, so that through him, through Jesus, all men might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light, the true light that gives gives light uh, to every person was coming into the world. So in verse 6, where it says, there came a man who was sent from God, his name was John. That's not the writer of the apostle. 
That, or excuse me, that's not the writer of the gospel. That's not the Apostle John. That's John the Baptist. So it can be a little bit confusing, and I, I hope I can just always say John the Baptist this morning so you know who I'm talking about. Not talking about in reference to a person. I'm not talking about John the Apostle, the writer of the gospel, but we'll be focusing our time this morning on John the Baptist. My aim this morning is to simply introduce you to John the Baptist. Last week, we looked at an introduction to Jesus. Next week, I hope to introduce to you the, the disciples of Jesus. Today, John the Baptist. Three simple points, the man, uh, his mission, and his message. You know, so first of all, the man. Just looking at the man, John the Baptist. Each of the four Gospels has John the Baptist. Not a, not, they don't all record the same things. We only have two accounts of the infancy narrative, the birth of Jesus Christ, but all four Gospels give us John the Baptist and have some things to say about him. We know he was sent here to prepare people for the coming Messiah and then to introduce the Messiah when he came and recognized them and wanted to make sure people lived there. What people sometimes remember most about John the Baptist is that he was a bit odd. We're told in the Gospel of Mark that he wore clothing made of camel's hair. Imagine that. I really can't. He ate locusts and wild honey, and he lived in the desert, and it just seems rather odd, rather strange. Who is this guy? He's of no notoriety. Why is he hand-selected by God to introduce God's Son to us? You, you would think there would be uh, maybe a group, a delegation, an army, a council, or, or somehow there would be this massive attention drawn to this group who would then deflect it to Jesus Christ so that all the world would know, okay, this is the Son of God. Instead, we've got somebody who's obscure, and he comes out of the desert, and he's a little bit off-center. Well, that was God's man for the job. So in God's, in the view, of, uh, from the perspective of God Almighty, John was the right man for the job. From the perspective of John the Apostle, this is all we need to know. There came a man who was sent from God. His name was John. You don't need to know anything more than that. The, the thing about the locusts and the, and the camel and the um, honey uh, desert, uh, that came from the Gospel of Mark. John doesn't give us that. All John says to satisfy our curiosity is, John the Baptist is sent by God. Okay, enough said there. It's apparent, as, as you look at John, that he was obedient, hardcore obedient to God. He named uh, some things, and he called out some people for sin. He clearly introduced Jesus Christ as, as uh, the Son of God. But in the course of living his life and just simply reacting to the Word of God and reacting to what he saw, John said some things and did some things, and it cost him his life. Obedience to God cost John the Baptist his life. And so that draws me to make an application, or maybe I should say an observation. It is apparent that making Jesus known is more important than growing old. And yet so many of us will do whatever we can toward life preservation Let's grow old. Let's live a long life. Let's not consider radical obedience. Let's not go to another country where they don't have good health care like we have here. 
let's grow old. And yet if you follow John the Baptist through in the Gospels, it does become apparent to, to us that from the perspective of God, making Jesus known is more important than growing old. Okay, his mission. John was very clear on his mission to introduce Jesus and then get out of the way. John even said in chapter 3, verse 30, Jesus must increase, I must decrease. Once he pointed out Jesus Christ and, and, and clearly identified him, the Son of God is now on the scene, the Messiah, the Christ is here. John was willing to just simply get out of the way and let Jesus take it from there. Before Jesus got going, though, and in, in the early days of the ministry of John the Baptist, which was a ministry of preparation and repentance, the Jewish religious leadership sent a delegation to John to ask him to clearly identify himself. Who are you and what is it that you've come to do? So beginning in verse 19 that we had read earlier, a conversation is recorded between John the Baptist and the Jewish religious delegation. John told them what his mission was not, and then he told them what his mission was. So let's take a look at this. Verse 19, now this was John's testimony when the Jews of Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. Verse 20, he did not fail to confess, but confessed freely, I am not the Christ. That's just a Greek alliteration of, of the anointed one. So we understand that to be not the last name of Jesus, but the title that is Messiah. So John the Baptist is telling this religious leadership group, I am not the Messiah. You might be thinking that, you got it wrong, I am not the Christ. I am not the Messiah. Verse 21, they asked him then, then who are you? Are you Elijah? And he said, I am not. Now, John did have some things in common with Elijah. He appeared suddenly. He was different. And he tried to help people and prepare people, bring people back to God. But he clearly says he's not Elijah. The last part of verse 21, are you the prophet, they asked, and he answered, no. The prophet was likely an expectation that developed out of Deuteronomy chapter 18, where Moses prophesied or predicted that there would be a prophet who would speak the very words of God. Now, the Jews, in their haste to try to understand Old Testament and, and formulate some concept of Messiah, separated that from the Messiah. They thought there would be a prophet who was distinct from the Messiah. A different guy would come and speak the words of God. They referred to him as the prophet. We understand that that would be the role of Messiah, to come and speak the words of God. And so John clearly says, no, I'm not the guy. I'm not the prophet that you're looking for. John self-identified as a voice. Look at verse 22. Finally, they asked, who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet, 
I am the voice of the one calling in the desert. Make straight the way for the Lord. That's the mission that John embraced, to be a voice, to make much of Jesus, and then to get out of the way. We struggle to follow the example of John the Baptist. We want to make much of ourselves. You heard it here a few moments ago, so true. We like to talk about ourselves a lot. We need to be content, I suggest to you instead, of pointing to Jesus Christ, making much of him, and making only a little of ourselves. If we get zero credit for work done in a local church, you know what? That's okay. If people don't know about our hobbies and our kids and our grandkids and our opinions and our thoughts and our personal preferences, but they know about Jesus from us, that's gold. Example of, uh, here's some examples of people who made much of Jesus and got out of the way. See if you know these names. Stephen Estes. Robert Morrison. Andrew the Apostle. Ah, got one. You've heard of Andrew. We only know him on a few pages in the gospel records, and then he gets out of the way. Andrew made sure that we got Peter. When Andrew first recognized the Messiah, and we'll learn about this a little bit next week, first thing he did, he got Peter. And he introduced Jesus to Peter and Peter to Jesus. And we don't hear a whole lot about Andrew after that. So he's got something in common with these other names. Stephen Estes made sure we got Johnny. As in Johnny Erickson Tata. Stephen Estes went to the same high school as Johnny Erickson two years younger than her, and he lived in her neighborhood. He didn't talk to her much because uh, pre-accident, he just figured, oh, I'm out of her league. It, conversation isn't going to go very far. Might as well not even try. And then she had an accident, broke her neck, and after some rehab and some things that took place that were ne necessary just to get her to a point where she could get into the wheelchair and get around, then he knocked on her door with the Bible. This is like a 15-year-old kid. And he said, I heard you have some big questions. And I'd like to talk to you about those questions that you have about God and about yourself. And this 15-year-old kid told Johnny, God put you in the chair for a purpose. Oh, that's bold. And they talked hours, not just the one day, but over the course of weeks and months, he talked her through every question that she could possibly have and in part, he made sure we have the Johnny Erickson Tata that we enjoy today. How about that other name, Robert Morrison? He wanted to be a missionary to China. And back in the early day, the, the, mission, uh, the missionaries only made it to the coastal part of China with some, some benefit. And so John, uh, or excuse me, Robert Morrison adjusted his, his vision and he decided to created a Chinese-English dictionary, and then he translated the Bible from English into China. And then he recognized, 
I'm doing this for the next generation of missionaries. In other words, I'm, I'm making much of Jesus, and then I'm just going to back away. And I'm going to let the next generation of missionaries, they can go in and, and do something for China. And guess who the, the next batch of missionaries were? Hudson Taylor. Overseas Missionary Fellowship. Well, actually, it was first called China Inland Mission. Hudson Taylor was the very first missionary to make it into the inner parts of China. And guess what he brought with him to the inner parts of China? The Chinese Bible that Robert Morrison had interpreted. Robert Morrison just gave us the Bible in Chinese, and then he got out of the way. These three men, Stephen Estes, Robert Morrison... Andrew the Apostle, all have in common making much of Jesus and introducing people to Jesus Christ and then get out of the way. Let someone else get the notoriety. I just want people to know Jesus. That's phenomenal. John the Baptist is great. Well, I want to draw your attention to the deep humility of John the Baptist. And I see this in the, uh, a phrase that sounds maybe like um, an obscure reference that we don't understand sometimes. There was a saying among the, the rabbis that a disciple of a rabbi would be expected to do anything that a slave was expected to do or a slave was required to do, except untying the sandals. Okay, now that's beneath the dignity of being a disciple of a rabbi. Those slaves could do that, but not the disciple. We're not going to make disciples do that. Well, here's what John says in verse 27. He is the one, meaning Jesus, is the one who comes after me, the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. So put it into vernacular that we can understand. Maybe the, un the unwrapping of a sandal was so dirty and so ugh, yuck Maybe we would say that's like cleaning toilets. You know, the, the slave can do that. We're not going to make disciples do that. And John said, I'm not even worthy to do that. I'm not worthy to clean the toilet. I'm not worthy to untie the sandal. I'm not even good enough to do that. That's what John was saying. John the Baptist, that is. Deep humility. He kept diverting attention away from himself and toward Jesus Christ. I'm not the Christ. I'm not the prophet. I'm not Elijah. Jesus is coming. It's as if John just simply said, I'm not Jesus, but I know him. Would you like to meet him? I would like for you to meet him. Can I introduce you? The message Actually, before I leave this, let me, let me give you this challenge. Try, try this for a day, a few days, or a week. Try talking about Jesus more than you do yourself. That's hard. But give it a shot. See what you learn. The message. You can see the message in the way that John the Baptist announced Jesus. Now, regarding the announcement, John, or, yeah, John the Baptist had some options. He could have said it differently. John could have been informal. Hey, hey that's my cousin. Yeah, 
Can I get you to meet my cousin? They were, they were cousins. He could have said that. It would have been accurate. John could have been formal. Dear people, I would like to introduce to you Reverend Rabbi who will talk to us about God. <laughs> he could have been cultural. He could have said, this is Jesus, son of Joseph, born in Bethlehem of the line of David from Nazareth. He could have said all that would have been accurate. He could have borrowed from the wise men, the, the magi, who found Jesus shortly after the birth of Christ and referred to him as king of the Jews. He could have gone with that. He could have borrowed from the angelic announcement to Mary and said, this is the son of the most high God. He could have borrowed from the angelic announcement to Joseph and said, this is the Savior who will save people from sins. John could have done any of that, and he would have been good, accurate, precise. He chose none of that. What we have here is the first public introduction of Jesus Christ in verse 29. Let's read it. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, you might have, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Boy, that's interesting. There are seven titles in, in John chapter 1, seven titles ascribed to Jesus. John gives us two. So verse 29, Lamb of God, then look down in verse 34. The man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is he who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I have testified that this is the Son of God. So John gives us two, Lamb of God, Son of God. Those two, I take it, interlap or overlap. They are connected with each other. Now, what is it about being the Son of God that you have to be the Son of God in order to be the Lamb of God? Why did John piece those two together? Why did he package those two and not something else? He had other options that were good options. What is it about being the Lamb of God that you have to be the Son of God in order to be the Lamb of God? Well, to understand the designation of Lamb of God, we need to look back and we need to look forward. We can look back at the book of Exodus. We can look forward at the book of Revelation. This is easy to miss. In the book of Exodus, Egypt escaped the judgment of God. Here's the backstory. This happened through a series of plagues. The problem to be solved was to get the people of God out of Egypt to a place where they could freely worship God. It's not just the mere extraction of people but it's bringing the people to a place where they were free to follow God and his instructions and to worship God the way God chose, not the way Pharaoh or Egypt chose. So the series of plagues were enacted and, and cast upon Egypt, and, and uh, during those plagues, uh, God was judging uh, the nation of Egypt as well as the false gods of Egypt. And these plagues all led to the last plague, which was the plague of the death of the firstborn. We don't like to talk about that much because people died, but it's uh, the night of Passover. Israel was given a way to escape the judgment of God. Judgment was coming upon people. 
and to distinguish God's people and to help them or not to, to enable them to escape the judgment that was coming to people at that time, God gave the blood of the Passover lamb that they were to paint on their doors or door frames. Now, I don't, I, um, I, I'm trying to substantiate this with, with multiple sources, but I, I, some archaeologists think that uh, the Jews wrote their last name on their doors or their door frames. And so when you painted the Passover blood on the door, guess what? You were painting your name with the blood of the lamb. Interesting. So the way out was a, a, a lamb, and they took the blood of the lamb, and they sacrificed the lamb, obviously, and, and painted their door with that. So Exodus chapter 12 Verses uh, 12 to 13, I'll just read. Here we go. On that same night, I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn, both people and animals, and I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. Verse 13. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are. When I see the blood... I will pass over you. There's the name Passover. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. That's the blood of the lamb. That was the beginning of the concept of sacrificial lamb to serve as a substitute protection from judgment from God. And John the Baptist picks up on that and he applies it to Jesus Christ prophetically. What he states in John 1.29 is predictive. He doesn't know. He doesn't know by history that it had happened. He is prophesying that it will happen. So the very title that John the Baptist gives to Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, that is predictive. That is a prophecy that John the Baptist ushers forth. Okay, well, looking ahead to the book of Revelation... I looked at this a number of years ago. The favorite term for Jesus Christ in the book of Revelation is the term lamb. 29 times in the book of Revelation, Jesus Christ is referred to as the lamb. In other words, the mission was successful. Book of Exodus lays the foundation, Passover lamb. John the Baptist gives it to us with predictive prophecy. Revelation tells us this mission of God, this worked. This is successful. In the eyes of God, this is it, the lamb of God. We're going to go with that. The mission of being a sacrificial lamb who could deal with our sin, introduced in Exodus, prophesied by John the Baptist, affirmed as being uh, acceptable and pleasing to God in the book of Revelation. Okay, now last week, I'm throwing a lot of heavy stuff on you here in just a few minutes. Last week, I gave you two theological terms, and today I have one more. So last week, we talked about hypostatic union. Remember that? Jesus is fully God, fully man. Two natures come together into the one person. Not a mix, not a little bit of both, not a lot of one, a very little of the other. Two natures present in Jesus Christ at the same time. There was a point in time which Jesus, the eternal Son of God, assumed another nature in addition to his divine nature. 
That was the moment of his birth. He became human. Maybe I could say the moment of the conception, but I don't know exactly how all that works. Incarnation. God in the flesh. So hypostatic union, incarnation last week. Today, penal substitutionary atonement. Penal meaning the penalty. Substitutionary meaning we have a substitute person to pay the penalty. And atonement, the reconciliation of God and people through Jesus Christ. Jesus was both the Son of God and Lamb of God because only both could accomplish this mission. Think about it. We could not even endure the weight of our own sin upon us in the, in, in the presence of God. Jesus took the sin of all humanity upon himself and endured the wrath of God upon the cross. No human being could do that and survive. Had to be the Son of God. But also Jesus is the Lamb of God. Amazing. Jesus was both the Son of God and the Lamb of God. Now, you might think that John the Baptist always knew that. They were cousins. Maybe Jesus gave him a sneak preview. No, actually, we read it right here. John didn't really know that until the moment of baptism. When Jesus was baptized, God made something clear. Let's read it. Verse 32 of chapter 1. John chapter 1, verse 32. Then John the Baptist gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him, on Jesus. I would not have known him, would not have known he was the Christ. I would not have known him except that the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is he who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. And so John says this in conclusion of the matter. Verse 34, I have seen and I testify that this is the Son of God. So many people are enamored with the love of Christ, the teaching of Christ, the, the miracles of Jesus Christ, but God, the eternal Father, revealed the Son of God at this moment of baptism. Mark tells us that the heavens schizo were just ripped open. And you heard this, well, you saw the Spirit of God in the um, uh, form of the dove, but then you heard a voice. This is my Son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. God announced it to anybody who had ears to hear. Jesus is the Son of God, the Messiah, the Savior to come and take our sins. Okay, so John the Baptist had one purpose in life. He was to introduce Jesus and then get out of the way. I hope you make much of Jesus and then get out of the way. One of the reasons why you did not go to heaven immediately upon your conversion to Christ is that God has left you here to tell other people about Jesus Christ. Tell people about Jesus and then get out of the way. Remember, John's gospel is written to help you make 
good and necessary decisions about Jesus Christ. You can either receive or you can reject, but you can't sit on the fence. Not with those claims. Not with someone who claims to be the Son of God, Lamb of God. You receive or you reject. If you're going to believe Jesus and receive him into your life, you need to know who it is that you're receiving. And so we take this study through the Gospel of John. If you're going to reject Jesus, at least know who it is that you're rejecting. Don't rely on internet or rumor mill. Go to the source. Go to the Gospel of John. Read it and then decide for yourself. John the Baptist makes it very clear. Jesus is the Lamb of God because he is the Son of God. I say to you that Jesus is worth every effort to make him known. Would you pray with me, please? Dear God, we thank you for the gift of your Son, Jesus Christ. Undeserving as we are, we have heard about that. We have read about that. We have been talked to about that. And we respond in faith. Yes, Jesus is Savior. He is Lord. We need him. We want him in our lives. God, I would pray that no one would sit through this teaching of, uh, um, from the Gospel of John and walk out of here unchanged. Help us to encounter the person of Jesus Christ. And then please, we humbly before you submit and surrender. Do anything you want with us. Send us anywhere you want us to go. Lead us to say anything you want us to say. And we will humbly embrace your mission on our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.